Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Today on Everyday Theology, I have uh, such a pleasure to speak to, for the second time today, um, Mark Bird, who is one of uh, two of the band's hammock, one of my favorite bands um, that I've found in the recent years. And um, I say one of our, our, our second conversation today, because we had about an hour-long conversation where we were just testing mics, and it was amazing. So Mark, thanks so much for being with me today. And my pleasure. And I did very much enjoy our last conversation. Uh, Mark, uh, if you can tell, you know, our listeners a little bit about yourself before we kind of dive into our conversation on, on kind of art and theology and the mashup of all of that. Well, um, I was born in a very small town, El Dorado, Arkansas, and it's El Dorado, not El Dorado. That's the proper pronunciation. <laughs> um and, uh, you know, I guess that some, one of the things that shaped me is, is, um, my parents, um, I was just a good Episcopalian kid. You know, my, my parents did not in the least bit, uh, choose the Episcopal church because it was, uh, the place that they sought out and they felt like this is the best place that, that faith is expressed. It was because my dad owned a liquor store. And oh, the, Episcopalian, the Episcopalians are, are really good with liquor. So, yeah. um, and I say that as one who is attending Episcopal church right now. And, and, um, and so anyway, uh, very normal until I was about nine or 10 years old. And, and my parents went to, uh, uh, a thing called Crescio or Decolores. I can't remember what it's called, but it's Episcopal church thing. And they went to a camp and they came back and they were, you know, um, speaking in tongues and filled with the Holy ghost and all of that. And, and, uh, and my dad wanted to stay in the Episcopal church. My mom wanted to find a church that was, uh, as they used to call it full gospel. And, yeah. um, and so, uh, uh, my mom over a time of, I remember the first time I went to that type of church, she said I could say amen anytime I wanted. So <laughs> I crawled underneath the pew and just randomly said amen throughout the whole sermon. <laughs> um, and, and so uh, basically, you know, I guess a few months of this or a year, my mom uh, said you know, after spending, they, they, my parents separated and after spending a weekend in prayer, she said at my grandparents' lake house, she came back saying that, that God had told her to leave my dad and that they were spiritually unequally yoked and, and that kind of Ugh. language. And, um, and then my dad, uh, tried to stay in the Episcopal church, but then basically just stopped all of that altogether. And my mom went headfirst into, you know, charismatic and then assembly of God. And I was at a Christian school, uh, that my stepfather was the principal of. And then when my, he wasn't my stepfather at the time, but when my, when my stepfather, and my mom married, it was such a controversy that it shut the school down and because oh, wow. they were, re, they were remarrying, you know, that's yeah, not, you're not. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, I had gotten into trouble at that school and they started a new school at the assembly of God church. And I barely got in there. 
And then I struggled throughout my junior high and high school going back from Christian school to public school because I was, you know, getting in trouble and things like that. And and so I grew up with this very kind of kind of confused and and um, uh, pulled in different directions. My in my high school years, my dad would ground me from going to church and my mom would insist that I go. And and um, basically uh, through a lot of struggle, um, I decided to start seeking out answers and, and moved when I was 18. And, um, and I discovered theology, but in all of this was music. When I was 13, I got my first electric guitar and, and, um, and there was just no turning back from that. It was always going to be music. I always knew what I wanted to do. Um, if I was a parent of, today of, of who I was as a younger version, I would be scared to death of, <laughs> of how determined I was to be a musician. And, um, and so it's just this weird, uh, path where I was in a rock band and we, we played clubs and then the pastor of the church I was going to get, gave a sermon about how, you know, you're, you're playing in clubs and I'm the only guy that does that in the whole church and that, you're supposed to come out of Egypt and not go into Egypt. And, oh, yeah. uh, and that was something that my stepfather used to say all the time. It was like, like every time you go see your dad, you, you, you bring Egypt home with you and just that kind of language, you know? And yeah. so, um, I moved to Nashville and, uh, got a record deal and it's kind of a grungy type, hard, hard rock kind of thing. And, um, and then, uh, I, I I ended up uh, wanting to get out of music because um, I'm I met my wife and we met in a songwriting session and I first person I ever met that I was like I think I could give up music for her if it, if it means that I can't marry her and so on the verge of giving up music um, I went home to Hot Springs Arkansas which is where my sister lives and other people in my family and the birthplace of the AG. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm sit, sitting. Yeah. And there's a camp I used to go to there, an AG camp. I went there every summer. And so um, I basically uh, sat by a lake and pulled out my acoustic and uh, got out the Bible. And I was reading the Psalms and I started a song called God of Wonders and came back. And my friend had landed this uh, multi various artist uh, project. And there you go. The song yes. took off and, and, uh, my and life changed many times in church, many, many times. It, it's crazy. When they told me that, that, that there's such a thing as CCLI and you get paid when it gets played in churches. My first response was, is that ethical? Is that right? You know? And, <laughs> and a good question. Yeah. And so, um, cause I, I, I didn't want like the small churches that I grew up in in Arkansas to have to pay. Um, but they explained to me that it's a lot of mega churches, especially who pay the most. And I felt better about that. Um, but anyway, uh, fell into that. Um, and over a period of time I tried, I was a, I was a songwriter at EMI Capital for 15 years, but, my artistic soul was just thirsting for authenticity. And, um, and I just began doing the music for hammock on the side with my friend, Andrew. Um, and from there, uh, it was just strictly just to do music. That's all no agenda, nothing. It's like our, you know, when we used to go to record stores, our goal was that I want to make the music that if we walked into a record store, we would immediately want to go up to the cashier and ask who was playing, who is this playing on, yeah. the, on the on the speakers, and and so that was our goal, and and we just set out to do it, and over time, um, 
I've ended up being able to do that full time now. And I have been doing that for a few years. I left that publishing deal in, in um, 2014 uh, at the end of end of 2014 and um, haven't looked back. And uh, I got to say that as as throughout all of that, I, I have struggled with faith. I have struggled with what's true. I've struggled with where all of this fits in. Um, I have seen you know, the underbelly of Christian music. When I first presented Hammock to the Christian publisher that I was a part of, I went in with this presentation. I was like, hey, this is this is what I want to do. And as I was walking out, the guy, the head of publishing put his arm around me and he said, Mark, uh, I do appreciate art, but at the end of the day, I'm a capitalist pig and I, and I, I signed you to write hits. Oh, gosh. And um, no. Yes, yeah, so I promise. Hand to God, yes. And so... Uh, I appreciated his honesty that he wasn't. And and then over time we started getting, you know, in TV and film and licenses and things like that and started making money and, and they weren't doing anything with this. So, uh, back on everything and nothing. And that was the first record that we did where I was free from the publishing and they didn't own any of it. And I don't, you know, I don't bite the hand that feeds me. I, I, there are really good people in, in, in that scene and, uh, in that genre of music. And there are others who are, you know, out to just make money and, and that's fine. You know, uh, I try not to be bitter about any of it. I learned a lot. Um, but I am, I am much more, uh, free to be who I am. Um, just doing hammock and being able to concentrate on, on making music that, 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 I'm drawn into and, and, uh, based on the, the, the correspondence with people that listen to our music, it draws them in too. And, and I think that's a very powerful thing to have such a vehicle that creates an experience without having any kind of, uh, linear narrative that you can follow. It's just sound, it's organized yeah. sound. And, yeah, you know, and I'm always amazed that, that, that sound waves, you know, enter our ears and, and it literally can create a pain in the chest and a soaring and a lump in the throat and, and, and sadness and joy and, and elevation. And, uh, I just still find that to be so utterly mysterious that these sound waves do that. And the human hasn't, has a reaction like that to music. Music, I think is the most immediate of the art forms because it surrounds you yeah. and it, and it allows you to stay grounded where you are but it also expands where you are. Yeah. The story I told you earlier, I think is apropos here in that the past summer I was um, away. I was traveling, um, spending some time with a professor friend of mine and his wife while I was working on my PhD and was utilizing a library kind of outside of my, uh, my town so I could kind of get away and write. And um, I had one of your songs on uh, called now and not yet. And just, it just hit me. I'm sitting in this library. I'm thankful that it was really empty because I was bawling like a baby in the corner of the library. And um, I, I couldn't even explain why, um, but just the way that the music spoke in the moment um, just changed me. And that's, a, that's one of those stories that I don't think uh, will ever leave me because that moment was so real. Um, and and I think what you what you're saying here is, is so important for so many of our listeners. And maybe I'll ask this question, especially because you've you've been in the world of writing um, Christian music, 
Now you're in a world of writing music that just for the most part doesn't have any words. And I think sometimes we exist in this world where there's a sacred and a secular divide where we think that if the, if a song doesn't say you love God or God loves you, then it's not worship. And then at the same time, we also just assume that, um, if it doesn't have any words, you know, it doesn't really do anything. It's just, it's just sound. It's just something that we engage with. What do you think about when you're going to go write, especially since your music has no words for the most part, um, and you go to write and what is the process that you kind of go through in that writing to not even give a singular message, but just to help people like have that experience? Well, it, it, it has varied, uh, throughout the years. Um, uh, a lot of times before I write, um, I think about people that are no longer in this world and people that I've lost. And so that creates a kind of depth dimension in itself. Um, and so I kind of enter into that space of, of, uh, of what could be beautiful, but also is equally sad. And, um, and so my whole, if there is a purpose in, in doing it, um, it's to create a, almost music that creates almost like a contemplative state to where um, whatever you, you're doing at the time, maybe you've done it a million times, but the music in some way maybe slows you down enough or opens up something that you're more engaged with it or you're noticing it in a different way. You know, a perfect example is, is someone like my wife. We've been, we would be married 20 years in September. And so she knows me, we've been together a long time and uh, she is a special ed teacher. And so she's driving to school um, and about, she's been driving that route for like six years. And this is a while back and she put our music on, on the way to school. And she said, you know, um, I was listening to your music on the way to school and I noticed a tree that I had passed by for the last six years and I really noticed it and I paid attention to it. And, and so in that regard, you know, I, I try, I try not to do, Andrew and I both don't want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to, you know, be flashy and, and technicians. This is so much more about, um, entering an experience and, and it's not for everybody. And I get that, you know, that's, that's, that's fine. Um, and I'm really actually very much okay with that. I sometimes forget how, uh, different our music is to, you know, person who listens, you know, as a normal listener music for the most part, but I do think this, and I've, I've told my manager this many times that I think one of the most countercultural things that we can do right now, any of us is to slow down and be quiet yeah, and, and to get silent yeah. and to allow ourselves to be with what is because we're not paying attention anymore. We're just a culture of distracted people and constantly moving, doing, distracting ourselves with, with ongoing activity. And we're losing this depth to, to life. And, um, and I, just don't want to live that way. You know, I, the art that, that moves me has, has a beauty to it and not all of it is sweetness and light. That's for sure. But it has a, it has a beauty to it that, that does that. It makes me slow down. Like, like 
Mark Rothko, who 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 is an amazing was an amazing painter. But but if 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 you look at him, you think that's just a solid color of canvas with a stripe across it. But, yeah. you know, in the Rothko Chapel in Houston, Texas, there's benches sitting in front of his paintings. And his whole thing is that, man, you need to sit and, and be still for at least 20 minutes before you can even really get uh what I, what, what's, what the artist trying to convey. Yeah. And there's yeah. this exchange, I think that happens between uh listener and creator or painter and viewer. Um, and to me that that's, that's a reminder that we're more than just our, you know, biological makeup and the fluids that flow through our body and, and all of that. We're, we're human beings and the humanities being taken away and the emphasis being on math and science and all of that. We're just reducing ourselves as human beings down to a mechanistic kind of, you know, uh, utilitarian function, you know, and, and we're so much more than that. Yeah. And, and and when music and when art does what it does, and, and I would say prayer and meditation and those types of things and, and Lectio Divina, a type of, of spiritual reading, it slows us down and we remember who we really are, not yeah. who we're trying to be, not who we think we should be, but who we really are. And that's the type of person we wish we could be. But then yeah. the minute we close our book, the minute we get up from prayer or listen to music, we go out in what we call the real world and we assume to be something that is not truly who we are. It's that that Kierkegaard phrase, with God's help, I, I shall learn to become myself or I'll, I'll finally become myself, um, that we often miss because of busyness, because of, of hurry, because of non-intentionality, um, that I think one of the things that always drew me to your music was that it did slow me down that I could turn on, um, uh, it really any of the albums, but you know, the first time it really hit me was with Mysterium where I could just sit down and I would just listen to it and not move. And I could also just kind of turn off my mind for a second and just be in the moment and, and, and allow that moment to have an experience for myself. Um, and I think something that we talked about that, um, was impactful for you. If you don't mind sharing the story of, you know, your time out at Big Sur and how that kind of impacts you. It's, 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 I have things in my life that are before and after moments. You know, my life was one way before and it's another way after. And, um, this is one of those moments, um, back in, uh, 2013, December, 2013, I had neck surgery and, um, I, uh, had to recover for a few months and uh, my wife and I had gone to Big Sur the summer of 2013 and for some reason when I when I was close to being completely recovered my wife asked me what I would like as a gift you know kind of combined with the birthday gift and and, and all of that and, and I said I, I want to go to this monastery out in Big Sur I didn't know about it I just saw a sign when we were out there and yeah um you know, and, and at the time, I, just just to be in full disclosure, uh, I was struggling with with alcohol at the time because I had I had kind of read myself into um, a corner where I just began to doubt everything, not not in this healthy doubt, but just this is this is not true. None of this is true. We're we're and I really began to feel um 
a sense of of just I would say existential despair and and it wasn't even trying to be pretentious like someone who first discovers the existentialist and you know starts wearing a beret or something and and starts <laughs> talking in French you know it it really was this this true kind of like what 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 does any of this mean you know um my wife and I have not had children and um and I just you know was at a place where where does it matter? Does any of this matter? And, and, yeah. and I, I mean, I was really, really, uh, in that place. Like it was, a, it was, for me, it, it, it was an authentic place. It was mostly intellectual, but it was also just a state of being. And so I decided that I wanted to go out to Big Sur to this monastery and, and was going to clean out and not drink for about five or six days. And, and, um, and I'll tell you the full story. I, I had intended to not drink uh, about five or six days before I left because I have practiced contemplative prayer and meditation in the past, and I know that it requires um, a little bit of, of uh, a little bit of of getting used to you know, used to it. Kind of kind yeah. of um, putting yourself to where it's it, it you're back in the habit of it, so that when you go, the silence is not so shocking. Right. Because yeah. this type of silence that I experienced was shocking. <laughs> and, uh, and as I'm sitting there in the Nashville airport and I have not managed to put one day of sobriety behind me, um, I show up hungover. It's about 7am. I'm in the Southwest part of it and I'm sitting there and there's this Greek Orthodox priest sitting behind me with his wife. And I think, Oh man, I am making a horrible mistake. Like all of a sudden the, the, the reality of my decision hit me and I'm like, wait, Mark, you're a wreck and you're about to go spend five days in silence in Big Sur, California. What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. This is crazy. And um, and so I was thinking like, well, maybe I can call my wife and tell her that I'm sick or something. And and um, and then this conversation starts happening. This guy got up that was sitting across from me and went behind me to talk to the priest. And he started saying, hey, father, you may not remember me. I look a lot different, but. We and I guess he was Greek Orthodox because he said we used to play some some music at your Greek festivals, and he said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, do you still do that? You know?" And they started talking a little more. He's like, "No, I'm in business." Da 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 da. And, and he goes, "Well, when did you quit?" He goes, "Well, the last the last time I played live was at a a Quaker <laughs> picnic, <laughs> the Quaker picnic." Huh. And I was like thinking, "Is there like a Quaker circuit somewhere or something?" Because I, mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was just about being quiet, you know, right, and, and right. so. So anyway, uh, the priest asked me, he said, he said, um, how did you go to a Quaker service? And he said, yes. He said, how was that? And he said, well, I describe it as probably the most pleasant and profound hour of silence that I've experienced in my life. And as I'm sitting there getting ready to bail on this trip, this priest begins to talk about the history of silence, uh, Hezekiah, which is, which is practice of, of, of sacred silence. And he starts talking about how we push silence out of our culture and out of our lives. And silence is so much more than just the absence of sound. And we don't know how to be alone with ourselves and all of these things. And I'm sitting here thinking 7 a.m. in the morning, I'm getting ready to go on a silent retreat. I'm not really believing in anything much now, but I'm getting a lecture on the need for silence as I'm getting ready to <laughs> bail on a silent retreat. And so... I called my manager. I said, I don't know if I can do this. And so I called him back and I said, Hey, I'm going. 
I just got a lecture from a priest about silence. <laughs> so I go out there and, you know, it takes about two days. I mean, I first got out there, the silence scared me so much. I was afraid to like pee <laughs> in the bathroom because okay. I was scared. Like it was so quiet. You yeah, know, I had a private yeah. hermitage. And um, and and my friend Ian Crone, who's an author and a speaker, and he said, you should take Into the Silent Land with you. Well, I... I I took a book called Smart Recovery with me to figure out if I was an alcoholic because that's a it's a rational based recovery thing and and um, there's no spirituality in it and you know so I'm like yeah I'm going to do it through Smart Recovery and figure out if, if I really am having a problem with drinking or not you know and or if I just need to clean out and and reset and um, so I'm doing this this questionnaire as, as I'm um, as I'm there and and um, I guess the third night. Um, I had a I had allowed myself to just the silence worked on me. Let me just say that yeah. the silence began to work on me, and um, I was surrounded by so much beauty. And I was sitting on this bench, and I was looking out at the ocean. And Big Sur is one of the most beautiful places on earth, and um, I was just so overwhelmed, and I began to just cry uncontrollably, and. You know, I, I've had these experiences where I feel, you know, like this unity and 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 the oneness of things, and it was more than like an an impersonal, transpersonal kind of uh, experience with with I call it like the cosmic goo. You know, um, <laughs> it was it was personal. Yeah, and you know, Father Thomas Keating he talks about you know when we have these times with God, it's hard to put it into words. We don't even know how to describe it because it's almost beyond personal, but it certainly feels very personal, you know? And, and, and I was so surprised by it. I was kind of shocked and I began to weep and I kept saying, I'm sorry. I forgot you. How did mm -hmm. I forget? Yeah. And I went back to my hermitage and I was journaling and, and I had these, these little fears about like, you're going to, I was journaling about my marriage. I was journaling about, you know, my alcohol use and, and this little something said, you know, you're going to need to remember this. Yeah. Hold, hold on to this. And, um, the whole way back, cause it was about a two hour drive from big Sur um, to, to get to the airport. And I wept down highway one and I didn't want to leave, you know, I was so afraid. And I thought, everything's going to be different now, man. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to drink and, and everything's going to be good. And I went back home and, and, you know, some things were revealed about, uh, with my wife about like, Hey, you know, I've been really concerned about you and I'm not sure that we're doing as good as you think we are. Uh, and I could not stay sober longer than maybe four days. And so I went into an outpatient treatment thing and, and, um, and, over time, I say that I thawed out. And the way I describe that time in Big Sur is, is it was a big bang for me. Yeah. I was broken open. And to this day, I know that my universe is still expanding because of that moment. I go back to Big Sur every year. I go, I'm leaving next Wednesday to go for six days. And um, I've been there since, uh, you know, 2014, once a year, well, 2013 really, but to the monastery since 2014, once a year 
as kind of like a touchstone as a reset. And, and I get into the rhythm with the Catholic monks and then, and we do all the offices and, and um, we do, we end the day with 30 minutes of silent prayer and con- contemplation. And, um, and it's, it's just nourishes my soul. And, and I read so much theology and so much philosophy and uh, you know, hammock the first record was called canonic so i'd i'd read about kenosis and you know jürgen moltman and all these these things about the suffering god and self-emptying and and you know the trinitarian uh life of god that you know and it's beautiful it's so beautiful and even in that first record there's you know through a glass darkly there's uh there's if you go through our music there's you see a wrestling that i'm having yeah and and after Big Sur, uh, things really changed for me. And, you know, I, I, that was almost six years ago and, and, you know, been sober ever since and, and, um, and have been making, continue to make music, but it's no longer so, so much a head trip for me. It's not like if I get the right information, if I get all the right information, I'll get it all figured out. And, and, I've had the right information for a long time. If information was going to take care of whatever this is inside of me that, that, that uh, I continue to trip over, I should have been okay a long time ago. Yeah. What I have lacked is transformation. And I'm talking like a real, like, you know, uh, cover your mouth, you know, put your face in the dust because words fail with yeah, this yeah. and, 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 you know, I think of Thomas Aquinas when he said at the end of his life, you know, everything I've written is straw because he had this profound experience in prayer and, and, and it wasn't like I was in another realm. It was like, I was deeply grounded into, in the reality of my life and, and deeply grounded into the mysterious nature of what it means just to be here. If we could break down one moment of our lives, the most mundane things that we do, and we start back at the beginning of this whole thing and everything that has happened to bring us right here where we are, it's astounding that you're sitting here swimming in so much mystery and beauty and terror too. Um, but we don't realize that we walk around asleep yeah. most of the time. I do, you know? Yeah. And the thing that changed for me is, is I think that, that uh, it's like my eyes opened. It's not that anything changed around me. It's that I got a new set of eyes in a certain way, a new awareness, a new uh, yearning and longing. And, and I do believe that that's true of, of me for my whole life. I have just yearned for the absolute, for God, for um, to be grounded in the ground of being, to, to and honestly, you know, to rediscover uh, the Christian faith again um, and almost to have gotten away from it so far that, that like all the cliches are gone. All yeah. the, all the triggers are gone. It, it's like, I, I am experiencing it new and, um, and there's such a depth and beauty to it that when we get so wrapped up in it, just being kind of a cultural habit, uh, so much of the meaning and depth of it can just get lost. There's, there's something about, 
that experience of the grand nature of God that we often try to minimize by trying to make God into something that we can grasp, something that we can hold on to, something that we can make, in other words, make kind of finite, right? Like that when we are, when we have this moment of the experience of the grand nature of God, it's as if the world has become new again. It's as if everything is, is, is the way that it's supposed to be, at least for a moment. And, you know, this reminds me of Lewis and his, his, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the whole series, the very last book when, when, uh, a few of the kids get to go back to Narnia and it's the same Narnia, but it looks just new again. It looks brighter and more beautiful and bolder and more real than it's ever looked because things have been made new for them. Um, that we often, I think, miss and kind of to pair off of what you're saying is because we've lived in a life that is so busy, that is so uh, unfocused, that we just kind of just almost aimlessly go through, that we miss all these moments of allowing both God and our reality to be bigger than it actually, than we, than we allow it to be. And I, honestly, I think in so many ways, that's a lot of what your music does for, for me um, I think it's done it for others too. This kind of bigness and grand grandeur that is kind of coming even through the experience of that music that otherwise, you know, I, I would be amiss. I, I made the joke to you and, uh, and to others as well that, you know, I, I think one of your songs that now, but not yet, um, although some others as well, especially on the oblivion hymns and even your, your newer record, Silencia to me are, are, some of the biggest worship songs. And for me, they're worship songs because they're moments that I engage with God in a way that kind of transcends words. And it allows for that bigness to exist. Um, and I think those three albums, your, your kind of trilogy, your, your three most recent ones, um, if you wouldn't mind giving a little bit of the story behind those three, because I think they kind of point to that bigger picture as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I I, uh, I was thinking when you were talking about you know C.S. Lewis and and the the newness. It, it reminds me of of Chesterton. Um, yeah. Where you know he and I think he's this is it. It says uh, it is possible that God says every morning do it again to the sun and every evening do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. Yeah. It, may be that, it may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have grown old and God is younger than we. Huh. That, that, that to me kind of, you know, um, when I'm, when I'm grounded, when I'm, when I'm awake and when I'm, you know, I have my morning routine and and this abiding presence goes with me throughout the day uh that's what it feels like you know yeah. um the cynicism and the boredom that we suffer from man it's just been there done that seen it all you know and and you can't tell anybody anything new now and and the hunger for learning is just it's just uh it's sad to see it disappear because we're a soundbite culture you know, we skim over the surface of our life. We're skimmers. It's like, it's like, you know, look it up online and skim the article and there, I got it, yep, you know, yeah. and, and we're not entering in to let it start permeating and, and really, really almost, you know, uh, become intimate with whatever it is that we might be reading, studying, doing, 
um, there's a closeness and we're missing that relationship with, with, you know, the uh, immediacy of our life. But anyway, back to a uh, mysterium um, uh, uh, in 2016, um, early April, uh, my nephew passed away um, and, you know, I, I said that my wife and I don't have kids and, and my sister had two boys. She still has the younger nephew. Um, and uh, for some reason, the Clark, the, the older nephew, we just bonded. And yeah. um, uh, he used to read a book, you know, almost like at breakfast uh, every, you know, he, he would like stop eating his food and just stay buried in a book. And, mm. um, and uh, uh, he uh, was this beautiful kid. And then, um, as he got older, started noticing that he was having to turn the, the closed captioning on, on the TV and he wasn't hearing like when he was sick, they, they'd have the the thermometer would beep in a high pitch. He couldn't hear that. And so they took him in and discovered that he has what they called neurofibromatosis in F2. And, um, uh, it's a horrible disease. It's cruel. Um, tumors, uh, latch onto your nerves oh, and gosh. they don't want to operate until the last minute because when they take, take the tumors out, it's like a, it's like a, a deflation and the nerve collapses. Mm. And so they wait to do surgeries until the end. Well, he had, you know, one on his, in his hearing and his left ear and, and, um, and part of his face. And so, he had his first surgery, major surgery, and his face began to droop. He lost hearing in his left ear. And um, and anyway, uh, it was difficult, you know. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, my, my, my sister and I are very close, and she just allowed me to be as, as involved as I wanted to be in my nephew's lives. And um, he, uh, a week after Easter, he went to spend the night at a friend's house and um, – went to sleep and uh, died mm. of an aneurysm in his sleep because there was a tumor that had gotten wrapped around somewhere in his brain. And, that is terrible. And so he died from complications from F2. And my, my brother-in-law is a, is an associate pastor and, and my sister is a Christian school teacher and they live across the street from the church. And, um, you know, they get a call on Sunday and it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's just really hard to describe. I, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced loss in my life and, and a lot, I mean, starting at an early age and it, so I'm not a stranger to it, but it's the type of pain that, that I mean, I, I, it, I'm in awe of it. Like I'm still just, um, I like, I shake my head still. Like, I can't believe it happened. Yeah. And, um, and what my sister lives with and, and, you know, the absence gets more real especially when it's a kid as time goes on because other kids are growing up, Yeah, you know? And, um, so, uh, my, uh, Andrew and I were working on a different type of record. And after my nephew died and got done spending time with, um, my sister, I had a trip scheduled for big Sur for months and it was two weeks after my nephew died. I went back out to big Sur and I met with, with, uh, one of the monks there and we talked about it, you know, and, and, um, <laughs> I just, I just needed to hear from somebody. I said, Hey, do you, do you believe in resurrection? Yeah. Do you really, you know, um, because it, 
it's beautiful and romantic to think about, you know, uh, easing into the oneness and the flow of things, you know, and, and, and all of that. But, but when you lose someone that like, you just feel like, like, um, like you just miss them so much and you yeah. can't imagine what it would be like to never see them again. And I just, uh, I needed to hear someone. He said, I've been a priest for 42 years, you know, and he just gave me this kind of pep talk. And, um, I went back home and, and Andrew and I started writing Mysterium and, um, I took it from Rudolph Otto Mysterium Tremendum. And I don't know how to pronounce this, but fashionless or fascinate <laughs> and basically fascination. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and basically that that's that's the sense of the numinous and i would say that the the standing in awe of the pain and standing in awe of the preciousness of life the fragility of things um mysterium just flowed out of us and i just needed to make a record that i was dedicating to my nephew and to my sister and her family and to honor his memory. And so the now and not yet is basically what I believe. You know, I studied Buddhism when I was going through the crisis of faith and I tried to practice some of it. Um, but I was meeting with a professor of ethics at uh, Nazarene College here in Nashville. And he said, you know, man, I just can't I, I can't be a Buddhist because there's no eschatology. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And uh, and I and I, I I now know what that is uh, to hunger for the not yet, you right. know, um, and, uh, uh, that tragedy, um, was, I met that tragedy and Andrew and I both met that tragedy with, with music, with art, with beauty. I wanted to remind people that, you know, all of life is not ugly and sad, but it is sad. It's also beautiful. And I do believe that, that beauty music especially it's a simultaneous wounding and an uplift if it's good you know if it's i mean yeah. if it's really made from that place of i will honor the music and that's one of the things i think about christian music i started feeling like you know the music was like salad dressing not even the salad just salad dressing mm. yeah and the words were the main course right you know and we're addicted to words in this culture. We're addicted to information. We're addicted to, you know. Just tell me how it is. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, everything are fingers pointing to the moon, you know. And, and, but, but we're all like staring at the fingers and figuring out which one we like the best <laughs> instead of basking in the moon. Yeah. And, and that's what it can be like with God. We try to systematize and control because we need to feel like we're in control. And, right. you know, when something like this happens with a child, you know, that, that famous book, Abandonment to Divine Providence, I, I just, you know, I just like, like I, I got to surrender to what this is. This, this is what it is. Um, and, and the way that I'm not going to let that happen in vain is, is to create beauty in, in the memory of my nephew and, and also to let everyone know that, that the Mysterium Tremendum fascination, the sense of the numinous is not always meant to be like, Oh, I feel so good. You know, kind of like right, yeah. the way we, the way we've, we've, we've done church is like, you know, it was a good service. If I walk away feeling like I got a pep talk and it was great, you know, yeah. and, 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 uh, 
and and I just don't know if that's the 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 true the whole thing because to stand in awe and 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 it starts with mysterium you know which 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 is the just the mystery right and, and the and the sense of awe and then the tremendum which is like I I tremble before this yeah. because I realize my smallness and how finite and how limited I am and then there's the fascination which is I accept that I am finite but I have an infinite longing for something infinite and only an infinite love will satisfy that infinite longing. So though I might be in my finiteness and my finitude, I know that I am more than this. I I wrote a song with with Matt Marr years ago called flesh and bone. And it's, and the, the lyric is, you know, I'm, 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 I'm more than flesh and bone. And, and that longing and that yearning that sometimes grief gives us that longing and that yearning, that great love gives us, uh, that man, pay attention, you know, that's the thing to pay attention to. That's, that's, that's where we all relate, you know, to start, like I always think about like people trying to tell other people about the Christian faith and they start with all these, what they think are objective scientific proofs for the resurrection and all of these other things, man, start with the yearning because we all have that. We all have that. What is that mystery? What is that mysterious yearning that we have? And so, um, Mysterium is the first record. Universalis is the second, which is if you look at the artwork, which was done by an uh, art professor from the University of Alabama. Um, if you look at the first cover, it looks like an altar almost. It's 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 a it's a horizontal line, and it's it's abstract. It's a pencil drawing, but it almost looks like an altar. Um, my friend Craig Wright, who who uh, <laughs> uh, created the the series. Uh, is a green leaf or something like that for Oprah. He's a, he, he went to seminary and he's, you know, he's not like necessarily a Christian anymore, but we get in these crazy talks and he just said, man, Mysterium blew me away because it, when I look at that cover, it looks like, you know, an altar. And I was thinking, well, it's just more of a horizontal representation of what it means to be down here. Yeah. And yeah. for lack of a better word down here. And then Universalis has a more vertical ascension to it, which is I'm slowly crawling out of this, this, you know, life changing, life altering tragedy. And, um, and then Silencia ends with just this deep blue and the, and the artwork was made with rainwater, which is basically the wisdom that comes from not growing cynical and bitter because of pain and not uh, wiping it away and pretending like it didn't happen. But this wisdom of I have been through it and I've gone through it. And now I can sit in this silencia, this silence, the silence of wisdom, which is the world didn't break me. I mean, I'm broken, but I'm, I'm not so broken that I don't know that, that, that there's more to this. I still believe that. And, man, all the words have run out at that point, you know? So you go from Mysterium, you get humbled, grounded by this thing, Universalis, you start trying to crawl out of it and, and, and get back to life. And then Silencia is kind of like the wisdom of, a, of an elder. And I'm not saying that I'm a wise elder, but the wisdom that comes from, from being in the silence to where that's the space where everything will live. And that's what grief is for me. It's not that the grief has diminished. It's that a heart space that I have has grown big enough to contain it to where it's not smothering me. Yeah. And, and that's a lot like my spiritual life. You know, it's, it's, 
It's uh, am I am I adding things to myself or am I peeling back layers to discover who I was always meant to be? You know, it's very St. John of the Cross and Dark Knight of the Soul, this kind of moment of going through pain to recognize what we've always missed or to relearn. And yes, and and I love it, too, as it ends with with silence. Uh, I think still within that yearning kind of to go back to what you said about eschatology, it is really interesting to think about this very uniqueness, uh, this very unique thing about kind of Christian faith and theology. That is this learning for something that we have a glimpse of, but it's just not yet. Yes. And, and in embodying and enjoying and living in the now while also recognizing that there is something more to come, um, Sometimes I'm at a loss for words and thinking about that because I think we just, we say, Oh, if I can't, if I can't understand what that thing is going to be, or if I can't grasp it now, then I just don't need it. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, the, the Orthodox church calls it uh, a journey into fullness. Yeah. And I, I believe that I believe that, that, you know, whatever you want to call salvation, it's, it's, it's the now and not yet. So now we are growing into fullness, into that fullness, which is to be. And, and, you know, the sad thing about the way that I grew up is that it was, you know, like, you know, pray this prayer and ask Jesus in your heart to be your personal savior and forgive you of of your sins. And, and, um, you know, all is good. And, uh, that's, that's the more charismatic. I won't say it's necessarily the assembly of God, but that's definitely the charismatic thing. And, and, and and it, it's that's such a limited like basically saying, remain who you are, and I mean I mean who you who you think you are. I would say that let remain the 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 mask that you wear, remain the 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 images that you project, remain this false self, uh, because you you've prayed the, the magic words and now you're going to heaven, and that's what salvation is. And Salvation is right here now. Eternal life is now. If it's eternal, it is now. Yeah. And it's beginning now. And we taste that and we hunger for it. And um and and I think that's what beauty reminds us of. This, you know, I, I love that this guy, John, John, um, John O'Donohue, who is wrote a book on beauty, it's just unbelievably beautiful. It's called The Invisible Bra- Embrace Beauty. And um it's a homesickness, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. that makes so much sense to me that that when I get um, correspondence from listeners who are not in the remote, remotely Christian, but the things that I hear the most, the things that Andrew and I definitely get from from most listeners is I simultaneously feel joy and have and, and sadness when I listen to your music. Yeah. Um, and I feel I feel like there's this pull towards towards more, but yet I'm also fully grounded here too. And, and, and that, that to me is, is, is beauty. That's what beauty, that's the power of beauty. Um, and man, I don't know what my life would be like, uh, without that in my life right now, without, without those moments, you know, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a weird guy. I mean, I can go to a Chagall <laughs> exhibit in, in, in LA and, and I could sit there in, in front of a painting, this, you know, huge painting and it's abstract and his, and his wife's wedding ring, like makes me tear up just yeah. the way he painted the wedding yeah. ring. And, and, you know, it, it, James Finley, this other guy that I really like, he talks about after someone passes and you walk into the room 
and you see their shoes still sitting there. Yeah. And just the preciousness of the shoes. And that, that's, that's, that's a, 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 a glimpse of the depth dimension of, of the more we long for. And, um, I don't know, man, you know, uh, it's just really strange that this music has been used, uh, to, to let people like leave this plane. (laughs) Um, a guy's father, the last sounds he heard was our music and his last words were, it sounds like the ocean. Hmm. And, and he passed on and, uh, and there's a lot of guys, a lot of people who, who use our music. They want, they want it to be the first sound their kids hear and, um, they play it, you know, when they're pregnant and, uh, it's used in, you know, uh, some contemplative services. And, and it's just amazing that this music can be used and, and, and experienced in so many different ways, which to me and always are, are are somewhat holy, whether you want to call it that or not. Right. And that sacred and secular thing. It's like, what does that mean? Right. right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, really, what does that mean? Are we living? I mean, is that, is that what existence is a compartmentalized idea of this part of your life is secular and this part of your life is sacred. This music is secular and this music is sacred. If you, if you want to talk about profane, that's different. Right. Yep. But if you want to talk about yeah. secular and sacred, you know, man, the human being creating something beautiful is sacred. I don't care if you believe in God or not. It is sacred because you're participating in the existence that this thing has been set for. And 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 you're playing your part, yeah. so to speak. And and to, to kind of pair this with, right, like the Eastern Orthodox tradition, you know, whether it's theosis or divinization, when you talk about uh, maybe something more Western and the concept of sanctification um, or participation, there is this reality in Christian theology of moving us to a space of saying that there is something more for us. And uh, I, I think, I think what you've been saying here in terms of kind of the music, like that music kind of, helps push us along the way that beauty and that pain at the same time, it's that tension that actually drives, drives us forward where oftentimes we like to not be driven forward. So we want to get rid of part of the tension. Let's get rid of the pain. Let's get rid of the, the things that sound bad to us. And then we'll just latch on to what sounds good to us and, and I'll be good, right? I'll be better. But the process of sanctification is never an easy one. And the, and the process of theosis or divinization is not an easy one. It's a, it's a process of pain. It's a process of moving. It's a process of, of learning and engaging, um, in sometimes ways that are beautiful and sometimes ways that are, are painful. And then sometimes ways that are full of joy. And, and we, the only way that we can kind of make it through is at least in terms of kind of Christian theology is with this idea of the spirit poking and prodding and comforting and guiding and being there along the way, which is beautiful and often missed because we're very comfortable with where we are. And, you know, I mean, you know, this, uh, 
I guess uh, Richard Rohr can be viewed in several ways, but yeah. one of the one of the beautiful things that he says is 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 we learn to hold the tension, right? And we, I grew up in in I mean, before we went Assembly of God, my mom and dad before he completely left church and all that, they got into you know the faith movement, which was you know name it, claim it, market, park it, blab it, grab it, <laughs> you know that 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 kind of thing. Yeah. And I grew up with that, you know, and and so I was I was always taught that that God wants us healthy and wealthy, and uh, I wasn't even allowed when I had a cold to say that my throat was sore because that was a negative confession, and mm, if I yeah. was confessing a negative confession, then I was making it a reality. Right. Well, where's the Paschal mystery in all of that? <laughs> Where is the journey, yeah. the Paschal journey that we must take the way of? The cross, the suffering, the participation right. in that, which is the tension. The cross is tension. It's the intersection of heaven and earth. And and I believe that, you know, we're in, it's the now and not yet. And the now is going to have some crosses. Right. And, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, a lot of people who are most real and alive, who are really in the trenches helping other people understand that reality for the for the most part is is a shape of a cross <laughs> and yeah. and and by that i mean that you have to take your place in the suffering and you don't run from it you don't pretend like it ex- it doesn't exist and that's where i love jürgen moltmann because he basically says participate be in the solidarity with those who suffer be in solidarity with your own suffering yeah. and understand that it's not that that you know uh Christ suffers for you so much as Christ suffers with you right. and, and yep. you're and, and you're there. And, and man, I just didn't I never heard that growing up. I always heard about, you know, we're on the way to the promised land and, and, and everything's going to get good then. And, but, but what is the meaning in my suffering? And that's where I was, I believe, before I went to Big Sur was was this suffering is one thing, but meaningless suffering yeah. is intolerable. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that's where I feel like a lot of people are right now as, as we live in the eclipse of, of the Christian foundation of, of Western culture, people still have a yearning for the absolute. They're in grief. They're in mourning over losing that. Even if they weren't aware of it, it was so much a part of the culture, it permeated it, and that's gone. And now we're left with the suffering that we experience, but there's no meaning in right. it. There's no, there's no power in it. And, and man, I do believe that that's why suicide rates are up because, you know, what's the point, man? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's very nihilistic, right? Like the suffering for suffering's sake or the suffering just because you have to, because you're human, uh, doesn't have any hope. There's no, there's no hope to it. Um, and I've always wondered, maybe I'm just not heroic enough. I don't know, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, but, it's, it's Mother Teresa. It's why we can listen to the story of Mother Teresa or why yes. we can read the story of Mother Teresa and we can be absolutely moved and and see the truth of her story. And what I love about her story, if, if you read her letters, is that she goes through these profound, profound moments of doubt. Yes. And the doubt never stops her from engaging in the truth and the beauty and the goodness that she that she holds to. 
Yes. And she still and is it, suffering for other people in their own suffering, just as Christ suffers with us in our suffering. She just lives it. And that's right. We have a hard time that's, doing that ourselves. And, and, you know, someone like Bill Maher, who, who, when this first broke about her, you know, her letters and the great doubt, he, he said, you know, who knew that she was one of us, meaning that she was an atheist because, and people don't understand that if you are experiencing that type of doubt, then how could you ever really have any kind of faith? And, and how could you still believe in, in anything when, when the reality is that she's, she is living it, right? It's not necessarily like a set uh, an ascent of, of, to, to a belief in a certain, uh, certain doctrines. And that's what gets her through it. What she felt was like, you know, the, the, she was, she missed the presence of Christ and, and, but she still showed up and did it. She still showed up and, and was the self-emptying. She poured herself yeah. out. And that's what we're supposed to do. It doesn't say feel good when you're doing it and ab- <laughs> yeah. have absolute certainty while yeah. you're doing it. Yeah. It, it. It just Christ said before he said, believe anything, he said, follow me. Right. And that is always going to be to the Garden of Gethsemane and to the cross first. Yeah. And the garden is that moment of, I mean, Paul Tillich puts it as like the anxiety of Christ. And some people have a hard yes. time with that language because they're like, how can Christ be anxious? But read the story, right? Yes. He's, he's, he's struggling to some degree with, man, this is going to be tough. Do I yeah, really Yeah. And we act like Christ it? wasn't fully human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine, uh, first off, he's better human than I, because my question wouldn't be, do I have to? My question would be like, no, no, I don't want to. Like, we wouldn't be a question. It would be a declarative statement, right? Yes. Um, but he questions. He questions it, and I think, a very healthy and beautiful way. Hey, yes. do I have to, but not my will, right? And I, and I, will, I will tell you that, that, that the death of my nephew, my own struggles with, with alcohol, the, the struggles with faith and doubt and all of the things that, that I've experienced, um, the reason – that I mean, I find a lot of beauty in Buddhism, but the reason that I am a Christian is because I appreciate the smiling face of Buddha and this look of contentment in the midst of the suffering. But what I really relate with is a person hanging on a cross that in one breath says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the next is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken yeah. me? Yeah. That's that's a real take on suffering that 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 to me is like, oh, man. And 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 that that is that, you know, Bonhoeffer said only only a suffering God will do. And and I believe that because that for me was was the drawback uh, to bring me back into um, experiencing the, the life, uh, the, the Christian life again uh, was was the suffering of, of, of God yeah. that, that there's, there he is hanging on a cross, you know, and, and, um, it gives me it, it, wherever I am, I'm not alone. Right. Right. And, and man, I can feel very alone and we all do. Yeah. And especially if you deal with depression or, or addiction or, or whatever, and especially with, with, with our phones being our best friends, we, we can <laughs> yeah. get very alone. Yeah. But we're not alone. Yeah. Oh. Mark, that's so good, uh, which is a very churchy thing to say, right? That's so good. <laughs> uh, but I mean it. I really mean it. Um, I, I know you and I could just sit here and talk forever and just keep going. Um, but I, 
at some point we got to stop right at some point. And I think that is a wonderful place to kind of put a pin in it, um, to pick back up at a later time. But thank you so much for being with us. I I cannot stress enough for our listeners to go and listen to your music, uh, Spotify, you know, Apple, I'm sure it's pretty much everywhere. Um, cause it is, it is life changing and altering to engage with that experience and having music that kind of moves you through that moment. So, um, Mark, do you have any, I, I mean, you guys just did like three albums in three years, which is insane to begin with, but is there anything coming up on the horizon? Uh, we're still just putting out videos for this last record, which will be wrapping up probably by the end of that month of this month. And then, um, um, I mean, I'm currently working in the studio right now, but, uh, I, this is the first time that I've intentionally taken a break. Andrew and I are, are, he's raised on a farm. I'm raised by a father who Southern work ethic. And so we work, we work, we used to work every day. Yeah. And, and after Silencia, I just said, man, um, you know, art is not just kind of like, you know, work, 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 you know, right, and right. Uh, it, it, I got to have some space to figure out where we're going to go next. And, um, and so right now, he's writing by himself. I'm writing by myself and, and, um, uh, I'm, I'm profoundly involved with, with, uh, like tonight I'm going to a treatment center to, you know, meet with alcoholics and drug addicts and, and, and try to be of service to them. And, and so my life is, is, has been a lot about that because those three albums, man, that's a lot. And we also have another eight song record that we did called stations this is the first time you'll hear about it anybody has heard about it uh that i don't know Ooh. when it will be released right. but recorded it but we, we recorded it when we did silencia and uh as you know I, I described to you the artwork between mysterium being you know the horizon and 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 then the vertical with universalis and then the wisdom of silence and so stations is going to be like this very probably a very subtle image of the crossing of those two yeah uh meaning, you know, the stations of the cross. And, and I, I really do think that, that you kind of have to be in this kind of world or be aware of that to catch the subtle things that we put <laughs> yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but, but right now I would say that, that we are in, in no rush to release anything new, but we will be re re-releasing Oblivion hymns with the, uh, and some, some really cool stuff with that. And, and, um, and going to be working our catalog and maybe put out some singles here and there. But I would have a feeling that we're definitely not going to re- release a record in 2020 and we might release another one in 2021. The next one, that would be the soonest that I could see that happening. Well, if anyone hasn't engaged with your music, there is such a catalog to go through that could last for years as it is. Uh, so again, I just encourage everyone to go and I'm super excited for um, stations Thanks for if, if you want I, I can think cut there's it a song out. on there called I think there's a song on there called Paracoresis. Well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, that is a deep dive. That's going to be yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, the few theology nerds are going to be like, "What is this?" Yeah, I know, I know, and that's what I told I told my wife last night. I said, "She said, what are you going to do?" And I said, "I think it's just going to be two geeks talking to each other." <laughs> 
<laughs> Which is the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Uh, well, Mark, is there any way that people can keep up with uh, Hammock beyond just the music on Spotify or um, Apple Music? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a website, hammockmusic.com. We're on Twitter, uh, Hammock Music. We're on Instagram, Hammock Band. Um, we have a Facebook. And, and to be honest with you, I I probably engage mostly with Twitter and some with Instagram. I don't do any Facebook, but, but, uh, and you can also sign up for our email list. If you just go to our hammockmusic.com, you can sign up and you'll get, we don't send out a lot, um, but we give you updates about things that, that we're releasing or artists that we are working with, uh, like slow meadow. And my wife is going to be putting out a record that we're working on right right now. And, um, Hopefully by the end of the year that will be out. So, so hammockmusic.com, just sign up for the email list and you'll get updates. And like I said, we don't send out too many because, uh, you know, I know how that is to get flooded with nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, Mark, thank you so much for being with uh, uh, us and, and talking to me and having two geeks talk is always the best. So I appreciate it again. Oh, 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 oh,